Well, good morning, everybody. So glad you're here. All right, let's stand together and let's sing. I am free. I am free. I love this song. All right, y'all ready to rock out? Come on, here we go. Now we're gonna we're gonna let young young babyface Ethan take it over here. Now here, here we go. Ready? Take it away, babyface.
I love this song. Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful. We serve a faithful God. This week as we were just about when we were about to practice this song, we were just talking about how much it meant to us. And Julia shared a little bit. This is Julia Sullivan here to my left. She shared a little bit of her testimony about this. And and it just moved me. And I said, Julia, would you share that with the church on Sunday? So Julia, uh, share your heart with us. You know, in this song, there's a central theme of never once did I ever walk alone in anything. And, you know, this season of my life, um, longer than most seasons it feels like, (laughs) but um, I just compare it to um, the ocean worshiping with you and at the ocean two of my favorite places and you know you know just picture yourself walking in it's a calm day or maybe not so calm Um, we can't walk alone we realize that but yet the waves are kind of easy so we'll go at it by myself oh that's smooth and I'm gonna walk in a little deeper and um the waves begin, you know, to get more, and oh, I needed to jump for that one, and um, and then, you know, it just having a great time, and then there's that wave that I just can't seem to control, never in control, um, and it just smacks me down. My hair's a mess. I've got sand everywhere. Oh, there's just no, just kind of get up, and then the next one kind of gets you again, and um, it's just a season that I've had to stop trying to do it by myself and um, rely on God, because whether I try to control it or not, He has never left me. He's holding me. He picks me up every time those waves crash. And just, you know, some things that I've learned, and I just have to hold tight is through it all, I must forgive, and I must let God take it. And I must trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge Him, and He will make my path straight. You stay with us and let's sing together.
ever once did we ever walk alone carried by your generations. You have redeemed us. You have redeemed us by your going to the cross. You paid the price that we may have freedom through your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, we pray. Sing along with Daniel in this wonderful song.
Yes, amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we come before you this morning thanking, for, thanking you for your redemption. Thank you for going to that cross, paying the ultimate price for us, Lord, that we may be free, that we may be redeemed. You have bought and paid for us, Lord. You've paid the price for our sin. And all we have to do is reach out and take the free gift that you offer, the gift of salvation, of your redemption. Be with Jake now as he comes and brings your message. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to hear from you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. In Chicago on ni- in 1914, he attended Moody Bible College, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and God used him powerfully in his kingdom to be a testimony to his Russian people about the grace that Jesus provides. But the story I want to tell you about him is on his trip over from Russia to America. His family was really poor, And they took all the money that they had. It took all the money that they had to purchase a ticket for him to get on the boat to come to America. And when his mom packed his bag, it was just a little knapsack or whatever, and she put in just a few pieces of bread in his bag, and that was going to be his food to live on during the trip. And he says in his journal that he would look through the windows of the dining hall just longing to eat the food that all the other passengers were eating. And he got so hungry that... One of the sailors said, if you'll do some of the work that I have to do, I'll share my food with you. And it wasn't a lot of food, but it was enough for him to survive. It was his final day on the boat that he realized that the purchase of a ticket paid for three full meals a day. But he didn't know because he couldn't read the ticket. When I think about that story, I think about the spiritual parallel that Paul is making here in Romans chapter 8, that sometimes Christians, we get into the same predicament in our own spiritual journey. We understand that Jesus' blood has purchased our ticket to heaven, but sometimes we don't fully know all the benefits of following Jesus in the here and now. And so here's the big idea this morning. It's this. God is for you. When you read Romans 8, that jumps off the page. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us. If you were to summarize the whole book of Romans, this would be a good summary. God is for you. Many will oppose you, but ultimately God is for you. There's going to be pain and hardship. Jesus says there will be trouble, but you are convinced through it all God is for you. So, What Paul's going to do in the text is he's going to show you four ways that you can know God is for you. And he's going to do it through four questions. So let's jump in here, starting in verse 31. The first way that you can know that God is for you is this. Jesus took your place on the cross. Look at verse 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So how do we know God is for us? How do we know that this isn't just some pithy idea that we've created to make us feel better in a broken world? Well, Paul is saying right here that something happened in time, space, in history that confirms for us that God is for us. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died. The cross is the evidence that God is for us. Jesus' finished work on the cross ensures God's continual grace for you. The cross is the basis for our hope that God is for us. But notice here in the text, it says, He did not spare his own son. This is the language of Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac. Sacrifice your son, your only son. And notice here, he says he gave him up for us all. This is the argument of greater to lesser. Uh, Let me illustrate this for you. 
let's say I'm going to go to the Super Bowl this year. I'm going to go to the game. It's in Tampa, Florida. So first thing I need to do is I need to purchase a ticket to the event. That's going to be several thousand dollars. Then I need to get airfare to get to Tampa. And then once I get to Tampa, I got to get a a hotel and and a car. So that's another several hundred dollars. But let's say I pay all that and I'm on my way to the stadium and a parking attendant says, it's going to be $50 to park your car. You know what I'm thinking? That's ridiculous, right? Who wants to pay $50 for parking? But when you're this far invested, who's going to say, you know what, forget it. I'm going back to the hotel. I'll watch the game on TV. Nobody. Because you're that many dollars that you're that far invested. Well, here's what I want you to hear. God has invested the blood of his son in your redemption. So notice this. He's going to make sure that you have all you need to get you to your eternal destination. Not only that, he's going to make sure you have all you need to make you more and more like Jesus. He says that when you arrive to the new heaven and new earth, you will have all things in Christ. This phrase, all things, it actually ties back to Romans 8, 28, which is the key verse in the sermon series we just finished with Dr. Cox. That says, for we know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose. Listen, the cross assures the ongoing, unfailing, generous love of God for you. How do we know God is for us? Number one, Jesus took your place on the cross. But here's the second thing. Number two, he has made you right with him through the cross. Now follow with me. Look at verse 33. It says this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. The New Orleans Saints, they have a pregame chant. It goes like this. Who dat? Who dat? Who dat say gonna beat them saints? And then the crowd says, no one, right? Well, Paul's doing his own who dat, who dat chant right here in the text. He says, who can bring a charge? Who can accuse God's people? The answer is no one. Listen, when the omnipotent, righteous judge of all the earth says not guilty, guess what? You are not guilty. But we have an accuser, don't we? The accuser loves to bring up our past. He loves to bring up our failures. Satan, his name literally means the accuser. This is what he does. He tries to discredit us before God. If you look in Zechariah 3, 1 through 4, you see uh, the vision that Zechariah has where Satan is doing this to the high priest Joshua. I'm going to put the words on the screen. It's a little hard to read, so you may want to follow in the Bible if you can, but I'll read it to you. Here's what it says. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Now watch this. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Can you relate to that? Right? That's all of us in Christ. Verse 3, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, See, I've taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Church, when the accuser accuses, what you need to do is remind him and yourself of the gospel. And here's what the gospel says. You're not guilty. You are a new creation in Christ. So how do you know God is for you? Number one, he took your place. Number two, He's made you right. Number three, he's cheering you on in prayer. Look at verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So we ask the question, who can condemn? Now, the answer to the first question was enough, but this is just even better. You see how good the news is of the gospel. Look, Jesus died in our place, but not only that, now he is fighting for us, 
cheering us on, interceding for us at the right hand of the Father in heaven. I want you to hear this. The one who could condemn us stood condemned in our place. But not only that, he's now fighting for you in prayer. Robert Murray Machane says this, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million armies. Yet, distance makes no difference. Christ is praying for me. You know what this tells me, church? God is more committed to us than we are to him. He's holding more tightly on to us than we could ever hold on to him. So when we stumble and fumble, Jesus is praying. He is unceasingly, fervently, and successfully praying for us. So how do you know God is for you? He took your place. He made you right. He's cheering you on. And watch this. He will never leave you. I'm going to read from the message, and then I'll flip back to the NIV here in a moment, but I think the message just summarizes this well. Uh, The words will be on the screen. Watch this. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because of Jesus' love for us. God's love for you means he's never going to leave you. He will always be with you. Now, it's at this point in the message where I think we feel a little bit of pushback, okay? So I want to just walk through that for a moment because can we be honest that there are some times in our lives where we're like, I don't know, right? Like, why is God letting this happen? How can I really know that he's for me? But there's sometimes when I don't really feel his love, Sometimes in life there's pandemics and economic shutdowns and hatred and unrest. And sometimes there's unending loads of laundry and we're thinking, why God? Why did you let this happen? So Paul understands this and he lists out some possible candidates of separation that can happen in our lives. And I want to walk through some of these with you for you to see. There's no separation. He says tribulation, which is a word that means strong pressure or trouble. Is that an indicator of separation? No. He says distressed or hardship or stressors in your life. Is that an indicator that God has given up? No. He says persecution, which is a reality for many believers in our world today. Is persecution an indicator? Well, I want to tell you this story real quick. Thomas Kidd, in his biography of George Whitfield writes this story of Whitfield one time when he's open-air preaching. And he writes this in the biography. In the spring of 1742, Whitfield was preaching in a field. And as he's preaching, a large crowd gathers. And here's what happened. Soon, a crowd started to throw stones, dirt, rotten eggs, and dead animals to pelt the preacher. People would climb up into trees and dance in order to distract the people who are listening. Every attempt to silence Whitfield failed, and he went on preaching, praying, and singing for three hours. Look at this. Rotten eggs, rotten eggs dirt, dead animals, and weird people dancing. I preached at Bonnaroo one time, but nothing compares to this, Right? He goes on to say, what about famine? What if you lack the basic needs for life? Is that an indicator? He says nakedness. What about poverty or destitution? He says danger. We have many brothers and sisters in our world that gather this morning and they're in danger for doing so. And then he says sword. What about the sword? Is that any indicator? Execution. Here's the best part of this list. Paul faced every one of these, but it never stopped him because he was fully convinced that God was for him. Look at 2 Corinthians 11 with me. It'll be on the screen. He says this, 
I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, I've been flogged more severely, I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. One night and a day spent in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And none of those things stopped Paul because he was so assured that God was for him. And if you notice this, the one thing left off the list that Paul did not face in these letters was execution. But a few short years after writing these letters, Paul would be executed by Nero in Rome. How do you know God is for you? Jesus took your place. Jesus made you right with him. He is cheering you on in prayer, and he's never going to leave you. Now these are great truths for us to have, isn't it? But here's the thing. What are we supposed to do with this? Let me give you one thing. For the believers in this room, here's what you're supposed to do with this. You're supposed to celebrate this, right? You're supposed to sing this good news. You're supposed to live like this good news is actually true. You're supposed to share this with the people you interact with. Look what Paul says in verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You notice those words there? He said, I am sure, I am convinced, I am persuaded. Like that's, that's the job of preaching. That's what I'm doing here right now. I've got two jobs this morning. I want to glorify God, and I want to convince you. I want to persuade you that God loves you, that he's for you. This is the job of, this is what we do in connection groups. We sit in circles, and we discuss the word, and we persuade and convince one another that he is for us. This is the job of all Christian ministry. This is our goal. This is what we're doing. Paul understands that there's going to be days where you don't believe this. So he wants to convince you. So what I want to do with the remaining minutes that we have together, is I want to persuade us. I want us to convince each other. So here's what we're going to do. Paul lists four pairs of things, more possible separators. And what I'm going to do is I want to read these things, explain it to you, and then I'm going to turn to you, and it's going to be your turn. And I'm going to ask you, can these things separate you from the love of God? And your response will be, no! Okay? And what we want to do is we want to convince each other. We want to persuade each other. Can you help me out with this? All right, so here we go. The first one is this, death and life. This is all of human existence. This is out of all the time you spend here on earth. Is there anything that can separate you from the love of God? Oh, come on now. We're social distancing way too much. you got to make up for the other rows. Let's try the next one. Can angels and demons, this is the spiritual realm, the things unseen, can anything going on in this unseen world separate you from the love of Christ? No. Getting better. Okay. He says, what about things present or things to come? These are the things that have happened in your past, the things that are happening in your present, and the things that will happen to you in the future. Can any of those things separate you from the love of Christ? No. Then he just says this all-encompassing statement, height or depth. Meaning anything in creation, heaven, hell, all that's in between. Can any of those things separate you from the love of Christ? No. This is the security that you have in Jesus. So what about the not yet believer who's in the room right now? What are you supposed to do? Well, we look just a few pages over in Romans 10. Here's what you need to do. You need to call out to him. Can I tell you, not yet believer in Christ, not yet follower, this is the love that your soul has been longing for. This is what you are truly searching for, what you're truly after. Nothing else in this world can satisfy but this love. 
And so in Romans 10, 13, it says this, everyone, that includes you, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, we invite you to a love that will never let you go. It's demonstrated in the cross. It makes you right with God. It cheers you on and celebrates you along the way. And it'll never leave you or forsake you. Our invitation during this time is a little bit different. I'm going to be in the library just there in that back room. And as you exit the worship center, if you want to talk to me or talk to another pastor, we would love to tell you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus. Or if you want to join our church, we would love to show you how you can do that. If you're following right now on Facebook Live, I'm just going to give you my phone number real quick. It's 423-202-0198. If you want to talk to a pastor, if you want to talk more about joining our church, you can text me or send a picture. We'll respond to you. The truth of the matter is, Christian, I want you to be assured of this love. I want you to sing it. I want you to live it. I want you to share it. To the not yet believer, don't leave this place without calling out to him. Let's pray together. Father, you are good. You tell us in your word you are with us and you are for us. Help us to walk in this truth. We ask all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Jake asked us to sing this song, and I'd never heard it until he uh, brought it up to me. And I have fallen in love with a great song called The Blessing. And uh, we're going to sing it for you this morning. Sing along with us.
service. Uh, everybody. From the street corner.